Jonah this morning, the book of Jonah. It's a very small little book. It's hard to find. It's like four chapters. It's after Job and Proverbs and the Psalms. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. We've been in the Old Testament for the whole year. And we're now kind of walking through um, the history of the nation of Israel. We've been hanging out in the north. Ten tribes um, went north after the Civil War. And this northern part of Israel, this northern kingdom, um, they never ever, they never ever got it. But God Almighty did not just send prophets to the north and the south. God Almighty sent prophets outside of the promised land. See, God has always had a heart for the nations. It's never been about one people. Even when God called Abraham, God told Abraham, way back in Genesis, God told him, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Like, it's always been a global plan. God always had his heart set on bringing all peoples to himself. As the song says, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jonah is a prophet sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Now, the story of Jonah is a famous story. Maybe the most famous prophet of the Bible. I mean, there was a, um, what do you call it? There was a, um, a VeggieTales movie made about this guy called Jonah and the Big Fish. Like that, that, it's a good movie. It really is. Like, the story of Jonah, kids learn about it. It's in movies. Man, I remember watching that movie, Master and Commander with Russell Crowe, back when he was a good actor. And, uh, hey, uh, but uh, there's a scene where they talk about the curse of Jonah. Because that idea, it's out there. The idea of who is Jonah? What happened to Jonah? The story of Jonah is about a prophet of God who runs away from God. The story goes in Jonah 1.1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah knows the deal. As a prophet of God, when God says go, he says, Yes, sir. Yes, Lord, I will go. And God says, Listen, Jonah, you got to leave the neighborhood you got to leave the city limits. you got to leave Israel. you got to travel like 14 days east and go to the capital of Assyria. And you got to preach to them that I have seen their evil and I'm a coming. But this time, different than most times, instead of obeying the word that says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. Jonah decides... I ain't doing what you said this time, God. I'm not preaching this message, and I ain't going to that place. I'm out. And Jonah runs from God. Now, most sermons about this message, about this prophet, most messages are always about why it's really silly to run from God. Now, Jonah runs. Here's what God does. God chases. And amen that God chases his children when they run away. I have run, and I have been chased, and I have been caught. And as the Bible says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because if you don't listen, that thermometer can get turned up and up 
and up. But the story of Jonah, it's more than the running. The running is chapter 1. Like we see the running, the boat, the fish, all chapter 1. Chapter 2 is Jonah praying in the belly of the fish and saying, Okay, Lord, I give up. I'll do what you say. I'll do what you say. And the fish spits him up. And Jonah 3 obeys. It's it's a beautiful passage. It says in Jonah 3.1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that line. The idea of God gives his servants, God gives his children second chances. Even if I fumble the ball, even if I disobey completely, when I wake up, when I come home, the purpose he had for me has not been fully destroyed. It's still there waiting, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The point of the book, though, is not the running. And the point of the book is not the being caught. And the point of the book is not the second chance. The point of the book is why did he run? We're never told. We're just told he runs. He runs. And we don't find the answer until chapter 4. See, Jonah, he goes to Nineveh, the capital of Syria. And his message is hilarious. Listen to the message he preaches. The chapter 4 Verse 1 through 3. Well, no, let's look at 3. So 3. Um, the message is 3 verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Here's his sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Amen. That's the sermon. In 40 days, you're all dead. God bless you. And he leaves. That's, that's, the, that's the sermon. He proclaims God's judgment, and he walks. But the people hear that God's coming. You know what they do? They're like, man, God, we have been evil, and the God of heaven's coming for us. They all repent. they like, the king, the king gets off his throne and falls on his face and says, God of heaven, please forgive us for our evil. From the king to the homeless and everyone in between, the nation turns to God, and God is like, that's awesome. And he relents. He doesn't blow up Nineveh. It's the biggest revival in biblical history. Jonah is the most successful preacher in the Bible. I'm I'm not even lying. If I saw, okay, let's say, (laughs) if I saw the city of Flint fully turn to Jesus and everyone repent of their sin, if every strip club and every bar and every marijuana dispensary closed, not because we protested it, but because people stopped going because they fell in love with Jesus. If that happened, I would be pumped, yo. <laughs> Listen, if I saw this single neighborhood behind us, if I saw the houses begin to turn to Jesus, and we watched domestic abuse begin to decrease, if we saw kids and their parents being more involved with their lives education, we would rejoice over those small victories, wouldn't we? We'd be thrilled if God moved in this way. But what is Jonah's reaction when the entire city comes to salvation? Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's still, you're like, what is going on? God let you see the goods. 
You got the goodness. What? Why are you ticked off, Jonah? Listen to his heart. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. That's why I ran away. Because I knew. This may be the nicest insult in the history of insults. Because I knew. You're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. You! That's said with anger. He's mad at God. Why is he so ticked? Because Jonah hates the Assyrian people. Jonah hates that nation. You see, the nation of Israel is a nation. And nations have borders. They have armies. They have economics and, and politics. And Israel has an, a national enemy. It's called Assyria. And these two nations have been at war for generations. And at this point in history, Assyria is kind of stronger than Israel. Assyria has won some really big battles, which means some Israeli boys did not come home from the battlefront. Maybe Jonah's cousin or brother or nephew died out there. He came home without an arm or a hand. And Jonah in his heart is like, you know what? The only good Assyrian is a dead Assyrian. And God says, listen, the people you hate, this nation that you despise, you go and tell them that I'm the God of heaven and earth. And he's like, there's no way. I hate those guys. I don't want them to hear about your goodness. Because deep down in Jonah's heart, he has a prejudice against these people. And this prejudice is so deep. It is so, it's so inside of him. Even when God says go, he goes, no, I'm not letting go of my hate, not even for you, oh Lord. And when he sees God move in power, he goes, that ain't fair. Those guys don't deserve your grace. Now listen, neither does Jonah. But in the moment, all he feels is the hate. Today, we're talking about hate. We're talking about racial prejudice. This prejudice in his heart, it blinds the prophet from his own motivations. It makes him yell at the living God. It takes away his ability to enjoy when God moves on someone else's behalf. His hate is so deep, he cannot love those that God loves. And here's the fact of the matter. Prejudice exists among humanity. Everyone in this room, we're, none of us are immune to this feeling. To looking at maybe a race of people or a nation of people and feeling in our heart some level of animosity. White versus black. Brown versus black. There's been stories across the country 
of crimes against Asians going up. The Jewish people. There are people groups. It's very, very natural for humanity, for everybody, for us to be prejudiced. It's not gone from America. I hope you guys know that. Prejudice, people, I've heard people say, well, we had a black president, so it's all gone. It ain't all gone. It's in the streets, and it's in the church's seats, straight up. Where does this come from? Why are we as a people, why do we so easily hate other groups? God made the world good. When God made the world, if you read Genesis 1, over and over again it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And there is goodness. I hope you feel that in the world. There's goodness out there. I walk my dog in the mornings, and the trees are beginning to change. And I walk. No headphones or nothing. So this morning was no headphones or nothing. And I'm just looking at the trees, and it's a little, it's, it's, it's a little cool, so I have a hoodie on. I love hoodie weather. It's, it's just like, it's just nice. The world ain't awake yet. It's all quiet. And me and dog just walk, and I just enjoy God's creation. I'm grateful for the trees and the leaves and the breeze. And the sky just beginning to turn a different shade of blue. There's goodness out there. In people we love, We had a wedding yesterday. At the wedding, there was just dancing and joy and life. And you go, oh, man, I get to see some of the good, some of the things that are beautiful in this world. But this good world God made, sin entered into it. And sin, it stained it. It stained every part of it. Even the good things we have, like the stain seeps into the good, you know? It's like your best shirt has a glob of salsa on it. It's what it is. It's what it is. When, when, when sin enters the world, when sin enters the world, there's stories of how sin breaks people apart. It turns right away, right? Brother against brother, Cain versus Abel, right away. And you read, Genesis 11 happens, and you see that sin separates nation from nation and race from race. There's a thing called the Tower of Babel, where humanity gathers in this one location and they stand against God, and God breaks them into different languages. He confuses the hum humanity, ceases to be one and becomes many. And they disperse from there. Sin separates people from people, nation from nation, race from race. God breaks languages, and the people begin just going different places. And we all end up all over the place. Some went north to stinking like. Norway and Sweden, I don't know why you'd go up there. It's so cold, but the Vikings went up there. Some went south to the heat and the snakes and the spiders. Some went east, some went west, and then these cultures develop all around the world. Sin, it's, it's natural. After, because sin entered the world, it's natural for us to tribe up. And it's not just color. Listen, I'm Mexican. I didn't know until I was almost a man 
that Mexicans and Puerto Ricans love to fight one another. We don't, it's, it's, I don't, we're both brown. We both speak Spanish, but we're apparently enemies. I didn't know that. Am I, am I wrong, Ms. Sylvia? It's weird. People find a reason to not like one another. Straight up, we will find a reason to say, well, this is my crew, and that's your crew. Here's the line. I don't like you. We find a reason to hate one another. We, it, it's, it's common in our blood. Sin has broken us. It's easy for us to become an us versus them kind of people. And even believers do it. Even Christians do it. When I go to India, and we see Hindus come to Jesus, what's crazy is the Christian Indians, they will still mistreat the untouchables. As though they're low caste. I'm like, there is no caste. You are in Christ now. There's all this lie from Hinduism. you got to let it down. But people hold on to the lies. We hold on to the things. In America, we do the same thing. There are things, listen. You'd think that coming to Christ would cure us, cure up this, but it doesn't. Sin makes us naturally antagonistic to people who are not like us. We draw lines. In the history of our country, there's a lot of sad things in our, in our history where people drew lines. You're different than me. I don't trust you. Sin separates. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is undoing what sin has done. Sin has separated, but Jesus Christ is restoring. I go to Ephesians chapter 2 to read this very powerful, powerful truth. Ephesians 2, Galatians, Ephesians. It's Ephesians 2, yes, verse 14. Okay. Says this, for Christ himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, killing the anger. Here's what Christ is doing. At Babel, we were broken up into pieces. But at the cross, all the nations come back to Jesus. And I'm there at the cross like, Jesus, I need you. You died so I could live. I need the grace you have to give. I look next to me, oh, man. There's a white person and a black person. And there's someone from Asia and Africa. And we're all at the cross. And we realize in Christ we are brothers and sisters. At the cross, there is no more us versus them. There's now us. In Christ we are made one. I go to Wheaton College. I go once a semester to Chicago and I go to school. And it's great. Um, it's awful. I'm getting a master's degree, highly overrated. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it's just really hard. It's just really hard. But I'm at Wheaton one day, and we're in class, and we're doing like, people are giving these testimonies of things God does in, has done in their life. And this one kid gets it to share. This kid is Rwandan. He's not a kid. He's like 35, something like that. 
When you're old, everyone under the, uh, younger than you is a kid. It's weird. <laughs> this, this young man sets up and he shares. He belongs to a group of people called the Tutsis. Did I say that right, babe? Well, back in the 90s, there was a thing called the Rwandan Genocide where a group called the Hutus, who were the ethnic majority, began to wipe out the minority Tutsis. They say that maybe 500,000 Tutsis were murdered in 100 days. I mean, it was a massacre. So we're sharing testimonies. So when I stood up and he goes, my name's so-and-so, I'm a Tutsi from Rwanda. And during the genocide, I lost my entire family. My mother was killed, my father was killed, my siblings were killed, and I survived. And I'm just sitting there like, you're just sitting there just in shock that this person went through this. Well, the nation's been trying to heal since that awful bloodshed. Because imagine, if someone kills your father and your mother and your siblings, what would be the first thought of your heart? Revenge. Those Hutus will pay someday. When I get the power, when I get the strength, I will make them pay. This young man said, as I grew up, being raised by different people, I met Jesus, I going to church. And in his local village church was a Hutu leader who led one of those massacre squads who literally, he was there when his family died. And this, is, this young man's testimony, he said this. And we're all there just silent. And this man's just talking about his life. He just goes, it was really hard for me to forgive that man for killing my mother and father. But now we are brothers in Christ. That's an impossible reality. That makes no sense. How could I let go of the bloodlust? How could I let go of the hate? At the foot of the cross, this Hutu and this Tutsi realized, listen. And there was, there's probably a long journey to get to that place. But Christ is doing that kind of work. He's literally bringing people together who used to hate one another. In the cross, we are no longer enemies. We are one in Jesus. The cross is, is God reconciling the world to himself and reconciling us to one another. Now, if all that's true, if Christ can really bring a Hutu and a Tutsi together, and Christ does do that, if Christ can get past generational hatred and can help a young man forgive the very people who murdered his own family, Christ can do these things. So what does that mean for us here in the Americas, in America? It means this. There is no room. There is no room for racial prejudice in God's church there's no room. Listen to what happens to Jonah. Jonah's story ends so sadly. Most people never read chapter 4. And the cartoon, Jonah and the Big Fish, ends correctly. It ends, you're like, that was the worst ending ever. That's the way the Bible ends. 
really bad, really sad, because Jonah is really sad. So Jonah's furious that God forgives the Assyrians. Kill them! God's like, no, man, I love them. Listen to this. Jonah went out of the city, verse 5. He sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself, a tent for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping. Maybe God will blow up anyway. Maybe they'll turn to their sin and they'll get firebombed. It'll be awesome. He's there waiting to watching, hoping to see a Bruckheimer movie. That's what he wants to see, okay? So, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from, the dis- from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Really weird. Plant grows, big old leaves. It's the shade. The shade is awesome when it's hot. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. He was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Dramatic. It's so hot. Just kill me, Lord. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry about the plant? Jonah said, Yes, I do. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And Yahweh said, you pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The end. Do you do well, John, be mad about this, your convenience Can't I be worried about all these people who have no idea what's right or wrong and even all the cows? Weird weird ending. (laughs) That's what he says. And the book ends and you never see Jonah ever getting the point because his own prejudice blinds him so much he can't ever overcome. If the church of Jesus Christ, if we as a people can't get past our prejudice, we'll be stuck. We will be stuck. And I, I, have, I have seen it in God's church. I've experienced it in God's church. I've gotten emails from people I love and still love. I'm mad at them. I've got emails. I get memes about people trying to cross the Rio Grande River from Mexico and dying or drowning and getting caught. Get these memes, how it's funny, and I'm like, those are my people, yo. Why would you think I would enjoy this meme or this joke? My mentor, I have no father. I go going to a church in the suburbs. I'm the only non-white kid in the church. And my mentor would sometimes tell making jokes in front of all his friends and laugh, and I'd sit there going, okay, I'm different. And apparently I'll never ever really belong. And it, dude, I, I would take it, I would laugh, and it hurt, yo. It, it makes you feel on the outside. We as a people can't be those kind of people. Racial jokes have no place in our mouths. Racial, racial words... You know the bad words. 
no place in our mouths. Those words have caused so much hurt. I'm going to tell a simple story. Racial pain is not that old in this country. We had a Bible study here a little while ago. And I asked, what was the first movie you saw in the theater? We all went around and shared. Bing, 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 bing. It was all funny. And Mrs. Joyce shared a story. She goes, my first movie was this movie. It was the first time to let blacks go to the theater. In her lifetime, that was America. It's not that old. We can't pretend it's no big deal because it still stinking happens. In our church, we have the great joy of having black, brown, white, and all other kinds of peoples in our place. We need to remember that, listen, right now in Flint, Michigan, there's a bunch of Cubans moving to the city. If you hear a Cuban talking Spanish at Walmart, your first reaction should not be, speak English, we're in America. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is, oh man, there's a lot of Cubans moving in my neighborhood. How can we reach them with the gospel? They're not my enemy. They're not against me. God loves them. God brought them here. How can we love them well? We as a church are an inner city church that's, that's very diverse and very different. And this is a good thing. This is a, listen, heaven's going to be like this. Every tongue, tribe, and nation together at the throne, we're all going to be there. And listen, I don't speak as though sometimes, this is a joke I always tell that because I'm brown I can be racist. That's not true. I have to be careful because I don't want to denigrate any other races either. I still want to be thoughtful and compassionate. Being other is hard in America. It's hard. And Christ is bringing us together as one. And we have to be grateful for that oneness. But as we end our service today, I've said the words. Be careful the jokes you tell. Be careful the words you say. Especially if you have children. Because your children will learn from how you act and what you say. That little thing. The, the thing, it just it goes out. It just jumps generation to generation. That hate could jump that easy. We've got to be careful what we give away. We're going to end in a moment of unity today. 